Welcome to The Nathan Berry Show, Episode 2. In today's episode, we're talking about email marketing. So as guests, I brought on Corbett Barr, James Clear, and Brennan Dunn, three friends of mine who are really, really great at building email lists, growing an audience, and really just profiting from email marketing. So this is a live hangout that we did a couple months ago. And so if we talk about you know taking questions or anything like that, there was a, a live audience and I hope you enjoy it. Brennan, you're first. If you want to start, kind of introduce, introduce uh, maybe your site, the things you, uh, just the things you're working on and uh, we'll start from there. Cool. So my, uh, I've got a few different sites, I guess. Uh, my main is probably PlanScope, which is my SaaS app that I've had for a while. And um, my additional sites, I guess, would be I've, uh, I've written two books. I have a newsletter. I teach a few workshops online. And I just released a product called the Freelancers Guild, which is a, uh, a membership site. That's actually doing pretty well. Um, so that's kind of all of mine. And email is kind of the glue between it all. So it's all targeting consultants and freelancers. So it's it's easy in that respect that I don't need to go and have like you know multivariate audiences to uh to uh maintain. But um yeah, so that's that's me. Excellent, Corbett. You wanna introduce? Yeah, absolutely. I'm Corbett Barr. Uh, I have been um, blogging for the past four and a half years or so. Basically, I've built up my entire business around blogging and email. Over that time, uh, I run a small business with two other guys called Fizzle, and uh, you can find us at fizzle.co. Basically, we serve small, independent, creative entrepreneurs with a training library and community aimed to help them just make progress every week. Um, that's been live for about a year now. And um, aside from that, I, uh, I was really bad at growing email lists in the beginning and uh, didn't understand how important it was and kind of just got better at it over time and have learned some things along the way. So looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. James? Uh, yeah, I'm James Clear. My main site now is at jamesclear.com, but I've been self-employed for coming up on three years now. And like Brennan and Corbett, I've started a variety of different sites over that time, starting from not knowing anything like how to even start a WordPress blog to uh, to building a, a business out of it. And the same way email is the thing that, you know, sticks everything together for me. That's like the engine that runs the business. So um, I'm happy to talk about doing things in different industries. Mostly what I write about now is health and behavioral psychology and using like the science of behavior change to, to live healthier and achieve your goals. But I've also built email lists of, you know, 10,000 or more in like, um, small business marketing and freelancing, uh, travel and travel hacking. So there have been a couple different websites and I'm sure they'll come up throughout our conversation today. Excellent. So, uh, for everybody watching, you can ask questions. Um, if you go to nathanberry.com slash live, there's a chat box there. And so you can discuss it. Any questions that go into there? Um, our friend Charlie Irish is monitoring that he's going to pull out some good questions. And other friends at Gumroad have offered to give T-shirts to everyone who asks uh, good questions that we answer on air. So wow. Charlie's monitoring all of that, and uh, he'll he'll let us know when you guys ask good questions. 
So I guess the first topic is why email, right? Because a lot of people, you, you read any of the news sites, that sort of thing, and social is the big thing, right? All business is happening on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, email is dead. Um, what else do we hear? I'm sure you guys have heard some similar things, but I think pretty much all of us run our entire business on email. Uh, A big chunk of it. Yeah. So Corbett, you want to talk about, um, just jump in first and, and I guess say like, talk about kind of some of the benefits that you found in email over any other platform. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the bottom line is that email it's just far more sticky and engaging than anything else out there. I mean, if you, if it comes down to a point where if you asked me, okay, you get one channel to choose, you get to choose between YouTube, Twitter, email, um, even blogging, I guess, if you asked me to choose between all of those and, uh, the goal was to build a business and make sales to actually earn revenue, it'd be tough not to pick email. I think I'd probably have to go with it. If you, if you gave me a landing page and let me build up an email list, um, you're just able to make far more sales per person that's paying attention to you via email because you're in this sacred space. They see you. It's sort of a push mechanism instead of a pull mechanism. You don't have to wait until someone's browsing Twitter and they happen to see you amongst the hundreds of other people that are in their stream that day. You get to send a message to place it in their sacred space, which is their inbox that they're in 20 times a day or 100. People obsessively check email. Um, so then your goal becomes, after you've won someone, to be interesting enough for them to open your email and to actually read it. And that's a whole other section that we can get to. But if it's just sort of baseline, which of the platforms is easiest to connect with people and engage over, um, email wins probably 10 to 1, I would imagine. I don't know if you guys have the same experience. Yeah, I would say the same thing. Just to add to, I, I agree with all that. Um, two things that I came across recently that I thought were were interesting or apply to this. So one is email is a more personal avenue, right? When you post something on your Facebook newsfeed or to Twitter, everybody knows that all of your followers see that. And so that's like, it's public information almost that people are browsing. When you send someone an email, even if it's to a list of 50,000 people, they get that message in their inbox like it's just to them. And so I think because of that, they pay attention to it more because it seems more like a one-to-one -one communication. Yep. Um, the second thing is uh, I'm friends with Leo over at Buffer, and he gave me some stats around because, you know, they got millions of users and their whole thing is social. And he said that when you post a tweet anywhere from um, the max is like 25 to 5% of your followers will see that actual tweet. So you could almost use that as like uh, in a proxy for open rate, yes, right? Yeah. So like you're basically saying the best that you'll do on Twitter is 5% open rate. And you know, if you start, if you have a good email list, you could get a 50% open rate. So the amount yeah, of- I wouldn't, I would even, I would actually even say that was delivery rate because think about it. That's almost like yeah. they just saw it in the, in the headers and didn't even open it necessarily. That's true. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so if you just compare those stats, I mean, you're getting way more bang for your buck, so to speak. Um, you know, I mean, how much is a follower or a fan really worth if they don't even see the message, you know, 90% of the people aren't even going to see it. So, uh, I think that there's it, it, like, that's just one of many numbers that you could draw upon to say that email is more effective. Yeah. And, and to extend what Corbett was saying about, I, I like the idea of the sacred space. I haven't thought about it like that, but I've looked at email or the inbox. I mean, that's where work happens. That's where you get, you, you're emailing your customers or your clients or your boss. I mean, in our line of work, that's where we run our business. Tw Twitter, 
Uh, Facebook, I think to a lesser extent, Facebook is where I go to look at baby pictures and stuff. I mean, I don't, I don't consider Facebook as a, as a business channel. Um, but email is, I mean, most of a, a significant part of my day is spent in email. And um, to also extend on what I, what Corbett was saying, uh, when I was in Europe for a few weeks, I left with a huge list of stuff I had to deal with email-wise, right? So I'm still to this day catching up on all the email I, I haven't, you know, taken care of. Whereas anything that was going on on Twitter when I was going, I'll never see. It's gone, right? Email needs to be dealt with. And that, I think, is probably the biggest benefit to us is that um, it's either it's archived or deleted or it's read and acted on. Um, and, uh, yeah, and like James said, I mean, making it personal. I'm a big fa fan of no templates. I don't like graphical stuff in my emails um, because, I mean, that's the thing. Email is a personal medium. It's usually a peer-to-peer -peer medium. And when you see like an Amazon auto-generated grid of pictures, you know it's a machine-generated email. Even though, um, truthfully, like when I send a newsletter out, it's closer to what Amazon is doing than me emailing Nathan saying, "Hey, wanna you know grab a bite to eat next week or something?" Right? Um, yeah. But to the receiver, it's closer to that peer-to-peer -peer email than the email they're getting from Amazon, which is obviously computer-generated. Yeah. So I think what another I found, caveat to add in to this right. just is that not that like social's worthless. It's just yeah. that it's it like fits a different spot in the business, right? Like Facebook and Twitter are still in my top ten refers of traffic. They're right. just used to build the email list, not in replace of it. Yeah, that's great. When I ran some stats on my audience and 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 sales for books, what I found is that on average an email subscriber was worth about 17 times as much to me as a Twitter follower. Um, and so the other thing is, I actually think that, and this is what we'll cover next, I think that acquiring email subscribers is easier than getting Twitter followers. Um, so let's talk about, I guess, if you were to start- that, That's actually true. Yeah, that, that's actually true. I mean, I think that's true for all of us. Do any of us have more Twitter followers than we have email subscribers? I don't. No, I don't. I've got 5,000 Twitter followers and 12,000 email subscribers. Isn't that interesting? Because wouldn't you think that it would be so much harder to get an email subscriber? You would think, but you have so much more uh, control over the copy and the yeah. landing page and, the, you know, everything, right? You can't do anything on Twitter except your, your profile. So, right. yeah. That's uh, that is interesting. There's no incentive with a with a follow, like there's no yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, you, yeah you can't really provide value. It's all about them following you. Right. You know? it's, it's hard to it's hard to deliver something of value to them. So let's go around and talk about um, maybe where you got the majority of your subscribers, or one, I guess said a different way, one one idea that's worked really really well for you for growing an email list. Uh, any volunteers? <laughs> I, can, I can say something that's worked well for me recently. Um, I've been, so most of my initial growth was uh, more or less, you know, through blog posts of mine or people buying a book and, because um, my newsletter actually came out of a book announcement list. So um, it kind of grew up around that, but eventually I wanted to have it be more of like a, a flywheel that I could just systematically say, okay, this is how I can get more uh, subscribers. I've had a lot of luck recently with retargeting, where what I've been doing is 
I've been um, tagging people who, you know, hit any page on any of my sites. And in my Facebook feed, I'm giving them, um, or in their Facebook feed, rather, they're seeing, um, you know, a five-day mini course that I put together on consulting. And that way, you know, typically you'd want to have like the, the five-day mini course called Action Be at the Footer of the Blog Post, which I still think is, is a good idea. But I think um, by retargeting not or running retargeting campaigns that don't send people directly to a product site. Because again, like I was mentioning, Facebook is where I'm looking at kid pictures. I'm not in a buying mood when I'm when I'm on Facebook. But sending them to a thing where it's like, hey, give me your email address and over the next few days I'm gonna tell you everything I know about consulting and how you can apply that to your business. Um, I've had a really good ROI on that. Like really, really like more than 10x ROI so far on my retargeting budget. And it's one of those things I can just really dump money into and it keeps working so um i've had good luck with that yeah do you so think, think you'll continue to scale that like that you know app sumo they spend like i don't know last i heard they're spending like ten thousand dollars a day on facebook ads to to build their email list i don't know if that's still that high or if it's even bigger now but do you think you would try to scale something like that to that degree i think i would i've i've had good luck also on linkedin um for generic linkedin ads not the roi wasn't nearly as good because the minimum i think is two dollars a click on linkedin but you can get people who haven't stumbled upon your site. Like with retargeting, you need people who have like right. come across you before. Um, although I haven't done any of the Facebook ads that aren't through retargeting yet. Um, I think that I'd like to experiment with that to see, because I think that's what Noah's doing over at AppSumo. I think they're doing uh, retargeting, but they're also doing just people who like, you know, they get people to like the AppSumo brand on Facebook, and then they'll be, then they can market to people who are friends with people who like AppSumo. Right, yeah, yeah, like, Or if you have like CEO or entrepreneur in your profile yeah, or something. Yeah, so I haven't done that yet, but I mean, the retargeting, I mean, by then, you've already kind of delivered value to them, right? They already, they've read something of yours, presumably, and mm -hmm. they liked it, but they just didn't do any, they didn't act on it then. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to be doubling down on on all of the Facebook and LinkedIn marketing in the future. So that's a a, a paid way to acquire subscribers, but I think a lot of people who are watching um, maybe are launching that first product or haven't launched it yet, and so they don't have a budget to uh, to spend any money. So let's talk about like entirely free ways of acquiring subscribers. James, you've you've built an email list uh, to quite a large size in, in not very long. Uh, you want to talk about your methods for doing that? Yeah, sure. So I guess there there are a couple different ways I've done it. The first thing I'll say is um, one of the critical pieces and one of the suggestions I was going to give um, that I didn't use in the beginning, but I use every day now is a dedicated landing page. And it sounds like so simple, but there are so many people who set up a blog and just put forms in their sidebar in the footer or wherever mm -hmm. and they don't make like a dedicated page that is designed around getting people to sign up so like if you want to see an example jamesclear.com newsletter is one of the pages that i use every day and that page converts at like 80 percent every single month for me um so i mean i'm getting you know two thousand subscribers a month just through that one page and I, so anyway, my only point is pages like that make it very clear for the user what you would like them to do. And it gives you an ability to deliver value to them and to out like outline what they're going to get without distracting them with the other on-page elements. And mm -hmm. if you do that, it becomes much easier for them to take the action that you want them to take because that's the only thing they can do on that page. So that's, that's one thing. Um, 
The second thing, you know, when I first started a couple of the sites, I built an email list up to like 15 or 20,000 people pretty much through guest posting. And it, you just use this strategy of write a guest post, have a targeted byline at the bottom of the article that says, you know, James Clear writes at blah, blah, blah.com. You can get XYZ benefit if you sign up for his free email list here. And it just, you know, links back to that landing page that I mentioned before. And, uh, and then they go there. And so you know that, um, actually, Nathan, you and I talked about this at WDS that a lot of times people will say, oh, a page converts at X percent or like the copy converts at X percent. Mm -hmm. But it's not really the page that converts, right? It's the visitor. Mm -hmm. And so if you want your pages to convert better, then send better traffic that way. And that's one of the reasons why like that landing page for me has such a high conversion is because the people I'm sending to it are very warm, right? Yeah, they already they know just... what you're sending them there for. Exactly. They just finished reading an article from me. And so they click on that byline and they get to the landing page. And so they, you know, they're ready to sign up because they're, they're engaged and just finished reading an article of mine that they enjoyed. So that's, that's another thing. And then the, the third thing that I've done, so that, that was what I did for previous sites. Um, and what I've been doing recently is that the, the only problem I have with guest posting is that the more you do it, the worse you are at, right. Like, you know, it doesn't really scale. Right. So like, you can write two good guest posts a week, but if you write 10, then the quality is worse. And you're also ignoring your own audience while you write all these guest posts. So I was, I was stuck like growing the audience with all these guest articles, but then I would ignore the audience that I was building because I didn't have time to write, you know, something valuable for right. them. So it didn't really add up. So I was, uh, for the last year, jamesco.com is pretty, pretty young still. It's like, it'll be about one year old, um, this month. And that email list is at 30,000 now. And that has been pretty much exclusively through writing quality articles on my site each week and then republishing them in different areas. So they basically act as a guest post on an outside site. And the same, it's the same strategy. You have a byline at the bottom, you send them to a newsletter or a landing page, and then they sign up there. Yeah. So you've gotten your, your posts regularly republished on Medium, Quora, uh, sometimes on Lifehacker, Huffington Post, and a bunch of others. So your entire strategy is to write something once and share it as many places as possible. More or less. I feel like the the thing I noticed from this is that it gives your content legs. Like to, I mean, you know, you already created something valuable, and now you get to share it with more people. I, you know, for me, I don't really like just to give you some numbers on it. My stuff's been read by about one and a half million people this year. A lot of those, like over only about 400 to 500,000 have actually been on my site. So like a million people have read these same articles on other sites. And as a result of that, it sent, you know, half a million people back to my site. And then those people sign up and join the email list. So um, I think the idea is the content's good enough. It's just for a lot of people, it's dying on their own blog because they don't have traffic there to view it. So why not take it and spread it to these other places that already have an audience? so that you can get in front of them and drive people back. I love it. It's kind of like uh, just a deeper social media strategy because like when you post something on Twitter or Facebook, you're kind of reusing your content. You're just only using the headline or the first couple of sentences. You're just yeah. giving the whole thing away. You haven't had any any issues with it? Haven't noticed any? The one thing I was worried about in the beginning was, uh, was SEO. And I'm not like an SEO you know, strategist or expert, but I talked to a couple of people who are very good at it. And, um, and actually Tim Ferriss sent out a tweet that asked the same thing. Cause he had a couple of people that wanted to republish like entire articles of his on other sites. And he was like, Hey, am I going to get bashed by Google for this? And 
um, the overwhelming consensus was there might have been a problem five years ago, but Google's smart enough now and you don't need to worry about it. The other thing is that if you look at the major news sites in the world, you know, like Business Insider, Huffington Post, Yahoo, they all send CNN. They all resyndicate stuff from each other. AP so, or from each other, yeah. Yeah, like Google has to have some type of strategy for it. Like the biggest websites in the world are doing it. So um, it, it, the the moral of the story that I heard was that as long as it's posted on your site and you give it two or three days, Google pretty much recognizes that as being the original piece of content. Mm-hmm. Um, and also wherever possible, I link uh, on that page and say this article originally appeared on jamesco.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so I usually link back to that. And um, I haven't seen any negative effects. The only, <laughs> In the beginning, I was worried that, oh, well, what if like Lifehacker runs an article of mine and they, I mean, Lifehacker is way more of a reputable domain than my page is. So they have more link juice. So like, what if they outrank me? And then I was like, this is kind of stupid. I'm worried about showing up twice on the first page of Google for this, <laughs> exactly. my same article, right? Like, I'm win. worried about outranking myself. <laughs> like that's, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, um, I, I get, I don't get a ton of search traffic yet. I get about 1200 visits a day right now, but it's been going up, um, every, every week for the last six months. So I haven't seen any type of drop. It's been that the steady cumulative in, um, addition that you would expect to see. So yep. as long as that keeps going up a little bit, then I think it's probably working fine. You know, maybe, I don't know. I'll, I'll know more about it as, as time goes on, but um, nice. yeah. I like that strategy. Corbett, what's, what's something that's worked well for you? Well, just kind of thinking back to getting started um, and a lot of people that are probably watching this, maybe not adding email subscribers even every day. You know, it's like frustrating mm-hmm. when you first get started, you're blogging, you're putting your heart into it or maybe you're podcasting or whatever, and you have a platform and you have your newsletter box up there in the sidebar. And just for some reason, people aren't subscribing. Um, you know, it took me a little while to understand how it works, but essentially the goal for getting email, any email subscriber is to offer them something that's valuable enough for them to enter their email into that box. And if you have a little box up there and it says subscribe to my newsletter, <clears throat> you're betting that your content is so interesting that they'll make the connection between reading your content and seeing that little thing up there that they can get more of that. But you're not really explaining that very well. If it just literally says subscribe to my newsletter, you're not um, selling the benefits of reading your content. You're not selling the benefits of getting your content in their inbox as opposed to just coming back to your site whenever they feel like it, which is what they probably think they'll do right now, but they never will because there's a million sites out there. Um, So for me, what really just turned the the corner is understanding that relationship between value and and email and just starting to understand how to use giveaways in all kinds of different forms. For me, the bread and butter um, of getting people on our email list has just been to have a toolbox of resources where, uh, you know, we promise if somebody signs up for our list, we have a toolbox of things that we add to from time to time that are all around the, the subject of the site. For us with Think Traffic, it's all been about audience building resources, videos, workbooks, all kinds of things that we give people. The benefit of using the toolbox model is that whenever you add something to the toolbox, you can write a full blog post about that. And that blog post becomes a really great way of drawing people in and understanding that, oh, he has this toolbox thing and it is dynamic. And every time you do that, you're gonna get a whole raft of new subscribers because you wrote a full feature article about this thing that you're adding to your toolbox. Um, So that's a nice strategy so that you can kind of keep that fresh as opposed to just having one ebook or whatever 
I know a lot of people have um, different landing pages. Like Nathan, I you know I see you doing different things all the time, like this or whatever, and that's that's great as well. The toolbox kind of brings that all under one place, so that if you're a subscriber, then you can see all the freebies that you know that that Nathan or Corbett has given away over the past whatever period of time. So Corbett, can I I add to that? So yeah. I actually got this idea from you. So oh, I cool. saw I saw you guys do the the traffic toolbox thing and I noticed that you were writing, you know, every I don't know how, you know, every six months or something about it. <laughs> like whenever you added this new resource. And I was like, oh that's a really good idea. And then I also noticed that um that Brian Clark, a copy blogger, was they they do something similar where like just randomly, like every you know six months he'll post an article about their uh, internet marketing for smart people course or whatever their autoresponder yeah. series. And um, I was like, oh, I should do something like that. So I put together this like transform your habits guide. It's just like a 45 page ebook basically, but it's it's a collection of my best posts, but then I reworked it and you know rewrote half of it and everything. And um, I came out with it once and it was up there, sort of how you mentioned where like, I just had it in the corner there for people to download if they wanted it. And I was like, this is stupid. I should like update this every six months or so and then tell people about it. And so I've done that twice and um, I've come out with like the first edition, the second edition. And so I just write a new post when like the next edition comes out. And uh, and you're right. Every single time I do that, I have this huge influx of subscribers. You know, I get 150 people who join just from that post. And it's like, where did these people come from? The only people I sent <laughs> to this page were people already on the list. Right? I know. But they share it with people. And, and yeah, so I, I think that's a great strategy to basically the idea is like, don't mention something just once, right? Like find ways to, to mention that landing page over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And, over. and just in general, and just in general to kind of circle back to the beginning of the point, the, um, the whole idea here is not to let this opportunity go wasted on your site where you're having visitors come to your site and you're working really hard, writing content, guest posting, all this kind of stuff. Don't, let that go to waste by just having a little box that says subscribe to my newsletter at at the most basic level figure out what those people want that are coming to your site what they want more of and then offer it to them in exchange for signing up for your email list it's a really simple concept but i guarantee they're like half of the people watching this right now haven't done that simple step and like you'll see your email subscribers jump up by 10x just by offering something you know that you're giving away yeah i think you need a one of the big turning points in my mind was when I stopped think when I started looking my, at my newsletter as a product, I mean, no one's going to, you can't drive people to a marketing site for like, buy my book. Right. And that's it. Like no one's why. Um, so my squeeze page for my newsletter is very focused on like, um, you know, I'm, I write art, articles on how to get more clients, how to make more money, how to have a happier life consulting. And that's, you know, I mean, I just think so. I see so many people on blogs where it, their call to action is literally like sign up for my newsletter. Yeah. I mean, it, it, why? Right. Like there's yeah. nothing there's nothing. That's all about you. That's all about the, the writer, the blogger. Um, it's crazy, too, because like me just better. yesterday I saw one where it was it was a uh, it was someone who ran like a, a, an online marketing firm. And like <laughs> this is what they do. And their button said subscribe. <laughs> And I was like, come on, man. Like, I didn't, you didn't even tell me anything. Yeah. You know? Why? Like, what's the benefit for me? Why should I bother giving up my email address to you? Yeah. Yeah. That's something that I've done quite a lot where, uh, like, James, similar to, to your little ebook, I put together one called the Productivity Manifesto. And it was just all the posts I'd written on productivity, somewhat rewritten, nicely formatted in a PDF, along with some illustrations. And I gave that out. And that's, that alone has picked me up at least a thousand subscribers. Um, and then the value statement is totally different. It's not sign up for my newsletter 
to hear from me someday or, or to get content, it's put in your email address and I'll send you this. And if you want to leave this box check, then I'll also send you my other posts that I think you'll like. And so that's the other, I just, Nathan, noticing like the language that you use there, that's another thing that I think about a lot. And this comes back to like direct, direct response copywriting, but, um, the language that you use and the words that you use to tell people about your offer, it makes a big difference. I, I think sometimes people dismiss how big of a difference it actually makes. Um, like you need to do a good job of stating the benefit that they will receive for this, not just the action that you want them to take. I think a lot of times people think, oh, I need to be clear about what I want them to do. So they'll say, enter your email in the box below and click sign up. Well, it's good to have that direction, but it needs to start with what value and benefit are you giving them? Like, why are they signing up as Brendan said? And um, I think a lot of times people get wrapped up in thinking about, oh, what do I want my users to do? And they forget about what am I going to give them? Um, and so you, you have to do one before you do the other. Yep. Yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of, um, it goes along that line. One of the things that's been most effective for me um, to go to what James was just saying about language, when somebody joins my list, I ask them immediately, you know, what what's the number one problem that you have in your consulting business? And all of these email replies are just tagged automatically in Gmail. And I extract, you know, sentence for sentence language from these replies that I get back and rework it directly back into my call to action to so my marketing site. And um, that's been tremendous. Like everything on my squeeze page is pretty much a a phrase or a you know a keyword or two that have come directly from people um, from their own words, right? And uh, that's been hugely powerful for me because I'm not saying you know like you were saying, James, I'm not just saying um, sign up and learn about uh, freelancing, right? Like that's not to me that's not compelling at all. But to um, once you have enough data from your audience and can kind of you know normalize that in, in, to a degree and come up with like what is it that's that's drawing people like why why are people coming in and joining my list um, and getting right you know getting right after they've done that getting them to tell you why they've joined that to me has been huge and you know and just upping my conversion rates frankly so that's another thing you can try out doing too. Nice. So I think the takeaways from that are share your content as many places as possible. Um, give away something valuable in trade for an email address. The way I think of it is if you were pitching someone to buy your product, um, you wouldn't just say, like Brennan said, you wouldn't just say buy this product. You would give them reasons, the benefits of all of that. Yep. And, you know, they're not giving you money to be on your email list, but they're giving you, you know, access to their inbox. And that's a form of payment. So you need to you need to think of that as a transaction and, and sell the benefits. Um, so it's good. Let's take a, que a couple of questions just really quickly. Uh, the first one's from Jack. What do you guys do with inactive subscribers? Anyone want to take that? Do you guys have any strategy? I'm actually formulating mine in this. I can talk about the process that I'm doing right now yeah. as I move forward with it, but I'd love to hear what you guys do since this is something I'm thinking about a lot right now. Go for it, Corbett. Oh no! I, I was I was I was agreeing with James. I want to hear what he's doing. Yeah, I'm oh, not doing anything. Okay. Yeah. So I've thought a lot about this. I talked to a couple of people who, if you have certain automated systems like Office Autopilot or Infusionsoft, you can automatically scrub people from your list. So I use Aweber right now. I may go to something more automated here soon, but um, you can't really do that with Aweber. Um, you can manually unsubscribe them or manually delete them or whatever. But um, 
I think there are two different trains of thought. I've talked for, to people who say I never delete anybody because even like the unsubscribes, I could then, I, I don't know how to do this, but I guess there's a way to retarget them um, and, you know, talk to them later on a different side if you want to drive them to a new landing page or something. Um, personally, I don't know if I would ever retarget someone who unsubscribed from my list. Maybe that's just me thinking about it the wrong way. But um, so I don't plan on using that strategy anytime soon. The other, the other train of thought is that, um, the people who your open rates and your click through rates matter and they attach a certain value to the server that you're on. And so if you want your email deliverability to be at its highest, then you want to make sure that your list is engaged and active. And you also have to pay for each subscriber that you own. So you might as well own ones who are actually engaged rather than just having a list of a hundred thousand people with 90,000 dead subscribers. So, um, that's sort of more how I think about it right now, at least. And um, if I'm looking at my list, like just to give you some numbers on it. Um, uh, so right now I'm about, at about 30,000 subscribers. And last I checked, I have about four to 5,000 who have not opened a message from me um, in the last 60 days. So in the last two months, they've, they've done nothing. So what do I do with those four to 5,000 people? Like, should I just delete them in total? Where's the cutoff there? Like how long do I give someone before I say, oh, they're inactive or they're dead? Like, should it be, if you haven't opened anything for me in two weeks or three weeks, then you're kind of off the grid or should it be two months? So I'm sort of thinking about that timeline right now and how far, where I want to define that at. I think 60 days sounds pretty good. Um, the other thing I've heard from people though, is that there's a difference between someone who's on your list and who has been opening emails and then decides to stop reading versus someone who signs up and never opens an email from the very beginning. And if they sign up and they don't open anything in that first like two weeks, then they're basically lost anyway. They're not gonna open anything. So um, it might be the type of thing where a system you could set up would be if a new subscriber joins and they don't open an email within the first 14 days, then they're automatically deleted. And then if a subscriber joins and they are opening your emails, but then they don't open for 60 days, for example, then they're deleted. So sort of like two different uh, operatives based on the group. And, um, and that's sort of where I'm, where I'm thinking uh, I'll be at here soon. Um, and uh, it's also the other thing that goes along with this is there's a little bit of a psychological barrier for you as an entrepreneur because so much so much credibility and value is, goes into what your list number is, right? And like all you, like this is what we're talking about this whole hour here. Yeah. And so if you tell someone, oh, I have a list of 100,000 people, then that's impressive for some reason. So getting over your own psychology and learning to put like that number to the side and saying, oh, I don't really care about the number as much. I want like quality. Um, I think that's that's a good shift to, to make too. And so there's a little bit of a personal barrier there as well. But that's there's, sort of where I'm sitting at right now. And there's a huge benefit to getting over that mental block in all areas of your business as well. So if you can conquer it here, then you can get away from like worrying about how much traffic you have without caring about, like you said earlier, it's like you can drive 100,000 people to your site and, and get 10 subscribers because the traffic wasn't very qualified to begin with. Right. Um, so stop worrying about that in general, not just an email. Um, one thing though about unsubscribing people that uh, that has prevented me from taking action on cleaning out my list has been just that open rates are really, it's really a flawed statistic yeah. because the the email clients don't have, uh, they don't have an obligation to tell your service provider whether or not that message has actually been opened. So they have to use proxies like, you know, a, a tracking pixel or uh, if somebody clicks on a link within your message, but, I, and maybe Nathan or maybe Brennan knows more, but 
from my understanding, there could be people that are reading your messages, but yeah. not clicking on anything, not ever displaying images. And they might just be happily for month after month reading your thing in their inbox, not acting on it, but they're still, you know, part of your circle and still, and, you know, so that's kept me from taking action. I don't know if you guys have any more data on that. So, I found, so, oh, go ahead, Brennan. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't trust open rates at all, especially with the Gmail tabs. Um, I've noticed in the promotions and updates tab that the default tends to be not showing images. And if you're not loading images, you're not going to be tracked as an open. Um, however, a click through always does like if it doesn't fire off the tracking pixel, but somebody clicks, it is going to mark that as an open um, mm -hmm. because obviously they had to open that. But even then, a lot of my I think if, if your newsletter strategy is to be kind of like an RSS to email sort of thing where you're sending out like, hey, like um, uh, Derek Sivers, you know, his emails are very like, hey, just posted this in my blog, click, you know, here's the link, share it with your friends. I think his open rates are going to be substantially higher than someone like mine, because a lot of mine, the call to actions are either nothing or um, reply to this email and tell me about something. Like, I don't include links in every email of mine. And um, I've happily gotten replies from people, and then I go and look at their kind of uh, activity, and they... It, shows them as never really have not having opened an email for me in weeks, but they're referencing an email from like two weeks ago and they're, you know, replying to today's newsletter or something. Um, so I don't trust that at all. The costs of, of, of having a subscriber is pretty marginal. Like I'm, I'm not going to be like, Oh crap. You know, I'm going over budget because I have like maybe 5,000 people who are not, you know, doing anything on my list. Yeah. I'd yeah. gladly just keep them on. I, I don't, the cost doesn't matter to me. Um, because yeah. it's, it's it's hardly anything so yeah. justin jackson uh just pointed out something in the the chat that i think is really good uh he said open rates are only helpful as a trend over time and so you can assume that whatever you know we know that open rate is a flawed statistic to we don't know by how much but you can know that it will be equally flawed over time so if you watch your open rate decreasing then that tells you that people are becoming less engaged with your content or the subscribers you've been adding recently are lower quality, things like that. I, I, I have a little bit of an issue with that because everybody yeah. that I know who has an email list of any age has seen open rates decline over time simply because I think for any average subscriber, you're going to see them have peak engagement at the beginning. And over time, they're going to sort of, you mm. know, get to some normal level. Um, so I don't know what I would do with that information. If, if I saw that my, open rate was declining over time, I don't know what I would do with that necessarily. So the metrics that I look to track are always things that I can say, oh, there's a clear action that I can take based on that. I think the other problem is it depends on the rate at which you're adding new subscribers. So if you keep adding more and more and more subscribers, naturally you're going to have like high open rates. But if you kind of are adding the same number all the time, then your list, the percentage of people that are old on your list are going to be much higher than new. And I think you're just going to see open rates trend down. Yeah, from my experience, that's actually it's actually true. Every time I send to a smaller segment of my list, like and and actually usually that segment is uh, more engaged. Either they've bought something or they've opted into something really specific. But open rates will be far higher than when I send to my entire list. Um, so I I think and I've talked to you know people who are running lists of hundred thousand plus, you know, and their open rates get quite low, and and I think it's just a factor of the bigger your list gets. You know, and Corbett, like you're saying, the longer people have been on the list, they're probably less likely to be engaged. 
So just to add a couple more numbers to all of this. Um, I think one, Corby, you make a very good point about there being a peak of engagement early on in the subscriber lifespan, so to speak. And I think one way to use that information a little bit is if you have something important, you know, whether it's a book that you would like them to buy or some type of call to action that you want to offer to them, make sure you do it within the first two to three weeks because right. that's when they're everybody's paying attention. So yep. like whether that's in your autoresponder or however you want to work that into your business, make sure you don't forfeit that time, that period of engagement. Um, the the second thing though is that I, I agree that you can't trust open rates in total and i've actually had multiple conversations with a weber about this where i've gotten answers that range from it's 90 percent accurate to we have no idea how accurate the open rate is so um it depends on who you talk to there but uh i have done a couple re-engagement campaigns where i like for example I took a smaller segment of people who hadn't opened for me in a few weeks. It was about 2000 or 2500 or so. And I sent them an email and said, um, Hey, I noticed based on my analytics that you haven't opened anything for me recently. I just want to make sure that I'm serving you, you know, and giving you like the value and content that you want. Uh, here's a list of my top five articles from the last month. And, uh, you know, go ahead and click here to check them out. And I've noticed that one, the open rate on those messages is 5% on average. I've done three of them so far, and they almost always are between 4 and 6%, so significantly lower, um, and to the point where it almost proves that, you know, even if open rate is flawed, there's, you know, a 10x difference yeah. there that I, can, that I can see. And then two, the click-through rate is like 1% or 2% on it, so... Um, I can see, see pretty well that the number of people clicking through there versus when I send like a free download uh, to my total list, the click-through rate might be like 30%. So that's like, you know, a 15 or 30x difference. So um, basically, you know, even though the statistics aren't accurate, there's a pretty clear indicator that the people who AWeber is saying aren't listening really aren't listening on the whole. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know what I'll do with that, but as- Yeah, you know, there's as always- Something that uh, David, David, something that David Risley has mentioned doing is basically just warning people before you remove them from your list, saying like, if you want to stay on my list, you just have to click on this link. That's it, and then you'll, st you know, it's just kind of like a little yep. heartbeat sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And that would work for the most, you know, the people that are actually reading everything, especially if you send a couple of those before you actually remove somebody. So I think, and that actually, I think, is my plan. You know, over the next month or two, I'll decide how I want to move forward. But when I do it, I will probably send an email and say. Um, you'll be unsubscribed within a week unless you click on this link and you know whoever clicks through I won't bother with it and I noticed also that when I sent those re-engagement emails I heard from three people who said I actually always read your emails so I don't know why it mm. says I'm not opening them so out of 2500 three said that and if you know if that's the the difference there then that's not too big but yeah. um, I don't know it's I don't know if that there's any perfect answer and I agree with you and Brennan the cost is relatively marginal especially if you have a good business running with it so yeah. um, I don't think this is the type of thing that's gonna ruin you either way but it's an interesting thing to talk about yeah so um, really quickly let's what are you guys thoughts on how often to send to a list I do once a week I do once or twice a week, unless I'm doing a product launch, and then it can be as many as uh, maybe three or four times in a week. Yeah, the biggest the biggest pain I've had though is I have a lot of autoresponders set up between yeah. a lot of different things, and yeah. so my strategy has been I try to get my newsletters out on Tuesday. It ha it's not always that I I sometimes screw up on that and it goes out Wednesday or Thursday, but I turn off my autoresponders on Tuesday. Therefore. 
if my newsletter goes out on Tuesday, then it's some like I've noticed people, if you're sending somebody three emails a day and it happens that like the stars align and all the autoresponders are saying they get an email today. Right. And then you send them a newsletter too. Um, people aren't really into that. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I found that by uh, disabling autoresponders on the day that I tend to send out newsletters works pretty well too. That's good. I, uh, I go, I send every Monday and Thursday. Um, and I think once or twice a week is what you need. I think the most important thing is set expectations and stick to it, right? If you tell them I'm going to email you every Monday, then email them every Monday. Um, I think if it's less than once a week, like for the first year or so, I probably only emailed every once every three weeks. And if the value is good, people will still pay attention. But if you have a new subscriber and they sign up and you don't email them until 17 days later, people forget why they signed up. So yeah. Um, I think you always have to look at things, whether it's the design of your website or the frequency of your emails with respect to what does a brand new person think when they come here. Um, and so I try, I think that that once every three to four days works well for me, but once every week it should also be fine on the whole. Um, but I agree with you, Nathan product launch. You can do once a day for a week if you want. We do, uh, we tend to do three to four times in the beginning based on, you know, because we have extra extra autoresponder sort of things that are going out and then kind of settle into two to three a week. Cool. I think the the general takeaway for everyone who's new to email is that it's okay to send more often than you would think. Like when mm -hmm. I first started out, I was thinking, oh, like once a week is the absolute maximum you could ever do. And, and the truth is you could send far more often than that um, without, you know, seeing Bad, yep. bad side effects or upsetting people from it. So and when like you're just start set expectations and uh, yeah. Yeah. When you're just starting out, I mean, this is something um, it's scary to send an email uh, and it's also scary to see unsubscribes. So I think a lot of us when starting out, we don't want to send emails because we don't want to see unsubscribes. But I think it was um, Joanna Weeb who said like the unsubscribe is the email equivalent of the browser back button. And um, you know, your content, you can't please everyone. You can't give everyone value. Um, so I don't let unsubscribe. Like, if I get above a half a percent unsubscribe rate per email, then I start to think maybe I did something wrong. But otherwise, I just, I expect, okay, each email I send, I'm going to get a, a certain number of unsubscribes. And I don't let it bother me. Yeah, that's good. Because initially, it, it can be a little upsetting when you're like, what? 20 people said they don't want to hear from me. What did I do wrong? Even if you get, yeah, I mean, that happened to me so much. Like, and it's so bad because you get, you get a hundred people to sign up and you get eight to unsubscribe. And the only thing you think about is the eight who unsubscribed, you know, it's and like, not the other 92 who are like, right. keep sending me exactly. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So another question, um, what are the pros and cons of trying to build an email list before and after you have a product for sale? So we have some different things going on here. I very strongly advocate um, building an email list targeted at a specific or for a specific product um, as you're building that product. And if you go to thinktraffic.net, uh, there's a post on there that I just wrote, um, I think second post back about that topic. Um, so I always build an email list around a product. I've had the best success there. But James, you've got a quite a sizable email list without a product pointed towards it. Yeah, um, as far as the pros and cons go, if you have a product, the pro is that you make money. If you don't, <laughs> the con is that you're not making money. So um, 
I I think that you know I'm just taking a longer approach of what you did basically. Um, if if we're gonna break it down like that, like the project I'm working on right now is my first major book. Um, and so when that book comes out, hopefully I'll have an email list of 50,000 people that I can email and, and have them purchase it. And the timeline is just a little bit longer for me. It was the same strategy that you used. You just use it for, you know, a three month span or a three week span rather than, um, rather than for a year and a half. Right. And I, I'm fortunate now that I have, uh, you know, other businesses running online that I have a little bit of, you know, a landing strip there, a runway to work with. Um, so that's good. But I, uh, I also, I, you know, honestly, I'm not entirely convinced that you have to have an email list before you launch a product. I mean, I think that um, for some people, the most valuable thing is to build a list of customers. So you can, like I was just talking to another author the other day, his main source of, uh, of generating email subscribers right now is through his Amazon books. So people pay 99 cents or 2.99 for his Amazon book. And then he has a call to action um, in the book to join the email list. So he, his biggest source of subscribers are paying customers. And I think there's like a, a lot of benefit to that. So I don't know, it, it, at the end of the day, you're going to need both. So, um, you know, whether you do one or the other, the most important thing is that you get both done. Um, but yeah, my strategy right now is to build the email list and then launch. I have a little interesting story around kind of similar to that. So I did a Skillshare course, um, which I'm basically, I, I treat it like a guest blog post, right? Like I'm, I'm borrowing somebody else's audience and uh, within the course, I'm kind of incentivizing people to join my list. And um, the interesting takeaway, since I do a lot of sales through email, has been that I'm getting somebody to join my list who's used to paying for things, which is huge, I think. Like mm -hmm. that's, that to me has been incredible because- Specifically at, training for the value that you provide, like for that right. type service yeah right when they're they're paying for educational content i mean they've already done that on skillshare and then they come over and join my my audience and um so that's been something interesting too i know nathan you're doing something on udemy along that lines too right yeah. where yeah it's with a free course but okay trying to see how many subscribers i can get to the um or well, you want to hit your number <laughs> you want to you want to hit your 10k number right <laughs> so, yes well, yeah. i'm just trying out a whole bunch of different methods and right. seeing can you download the emails for like a CSV with the emails of the people who take your Udemy course? No, you have to, um, what I do in that case is put in call to actions. So my Udemy course is 10 videos long and a video that talks about productivity, it's going to link to my productivity manifesto. A video oh, okay. that talks about product launches is going to link to my mastering product launches course and try to convert as many people that way the same way uh, probably better anyway i don't know i wouldn't i've never imported a lit you know a list an email uh, excel file anyway but you know you could maybe email them separately and be like hey here's my productivity manifesto but if you have it built into the course then that might be even better you'll get more emails if you were to you know to download an import but i think you might be right you'll get you might get higher quality if, yeah uh, something else so um all right let's take another question uh, also really quickly, let's talk about tools. Uh, what tools do you guys use? I obviously use ConvertKit because I made it. Uh, <laughs> shameless, <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Hey, I'm just taking questions from the audience. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> James, uh, you, who do you use? 
I use Aweber. Um, you know, like I said, at some point, I you know, I like uh, listening to Brennan earlier where he is tagging the subscribers, using it for retargeting and whatnot. I I know a couple friends who do you know some really complex stuff, at least for me, complex stuff with you know with all that. And um, I don't know. I think there's some value there. So maybe Office Autopilot or Infusionsoft or something would be in my future, but. Um, I'll worry about that later, but, uh, but Aweber works fine for now. And, you know, they're, they're huge businesses that run on simple email marketing software. So cool. the most important thing is getting the message in front of your audience. Corbett, you've switched somewhat publicly back and forth between MailChimp and Aweber. Yeah. Um, now it's going back. Now it's going back the other way a little bit. Um, the, I mean, the issue with, yeah, we're actually using MailChimp more and more, um, because, if you can manipulate things with the API, if you have you know some development skills on your team, Mailchimp actually becomes far more powerful than Aweber. Um, so you know it, it kind of depends on what people are doing. I don't have any problem with either one; they both work really well. And I kind of hate to get into the minutia discussion because yeah. some people write you like asking a hundred questions about, you know, oh my God, but what if I can't do this? It's like either one will work fine for you. You know, it's not going to make or break your business based on whether you choose MailChimp or Aweber. Both are fine decisions. Um, just pick one and move on. Start building your list. And then later, if you find something that you can't do, you can switch between the two. It's not impossible. Wait, yeah. you don't want to hear from all those people? <laughs> no, I do. But, <laughs> but I'd rather talk about something substantive than like some feature of an email service. Yep. Yeah. So I'm using, um, I was using MailChimp. I'm using Infusionsoft now. Um, a lot of, there are a lot of heavy benefits, I think, that, can, that come with it. Um, one of the more interesting ones is I have it. So if you sign up for my newsletter, but you don't actually click the opt-in link, um, I'm going to email you the day before my next newsletter and say, hey, got that thing you filled out your name and email for, but didn't actually confirm. Uh, it's going out in a few hours. Do you want in? You know, and that I'm able to kind of like do custom logic around the opt-in process. But secondly, the biggest benefit to me is I sell a lot of disparate products and I'm able to kind of have a centralized, I'm not working off of lists. Like with MailChimp, I have like a lit, like my list of people who use PlanScope, my list of people who are on my newsletter and so on. With Infusionsoft, I have a customer database that has tags and then I drive my marketing off of these tags. Mm. And I'm able to do things like, um, hey, if you're interested in this upcoming thing of mine, just click this link. And that effectively will opt somebody in to hear more about that without needing to drive them to a landing page and tell them to type in their name and email again. Um, so I'm able to do a lot of interesting things around that. I have custom lead scoring based off like who's bought stuff of mine, how often they read my emails, uh, how often they click on stuff, what they've done. Like my higher value products are more heavily weighted. So I can come up with like a really custom way of seeing like my best scoring customers. Um, Will you use seven different things? No, but things like when I'm announcing a new product, I would probably in the future um, announce it to them first just to get their, cause they've already like, they've already returned. They already have an, a positive, or at least I hope positive ROI, you know, with me. I mean, if they keep buying my stuff of mine, then obviously it's working for them. So um, that's been another interesting, I've just, it's, it was so hard before with MailChimp to like, you know, somebody unsubscribes from one, but they're still in another and you, there's no like cross, like there's no way to say like, what of mine has James bought, engaged with, you know, and so on. Um, I can type in any email address and get all this info, lifetime value, everything and really easily. So I've had good luck with that. Cool. Well, it sounds like a, t a tool for people. My
much further down the road. Yeah, it's. A, I wouldn't recommend it. It's the. It's two thousand just to sign up. So yeah, you don't want to nice. wait. <laughs> like. So the the topic I kind of want to um, make sure we cover and and I guess end with is how to get that first one hundred subscribers. Uh, I think that's what probably a lot of people are struggling with. So, uh, Corbett, you want to jump in with some ideas on how to get the first 100 people on your email list? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you have to jumpstart some visitors from somewhere. Uh, so, you know, guest posting or something would be great. My um, my approach would be to run a contest on my site or a challenge uh, over the course of X days, say, like, run a 15-day challenge on your site where you're posting every day, people subscribe to your list in order to follow along. Um, Natalie Sisson did this recently with a, a blogging challenge, basically challenging her audience members to start a, a new blog and uh, run through that challenge. And um, that's a good way to get people to subscribe, to follow along, and also to, to share the challenge with other people at the same time. Yep, that's great. I mean, I've done that um, twice now. I did it with the web app challenge where I said I'm building, um, uh, software as a service company. I'll, I'll write about the whole process, subscribe to follow along. And that I picked up like 1500 email subscribers just from people wanting to follow nice. along to that. Yep. And then I'm doing the same thing now where taking, you know, trying to add 10,000 subscribers, 10,000 quality subscribers to my list in the next, in 30 days. And, uh, you know, so people are signing up to hear, you know, to follow along to that process as well. So I love the challenge idea. And I think it's a great way to, to jumpstart it. Um, James, what do you have on getting that first 100 subscribers? Well, I think it just comes down to, um, I mean, you can't do anything if you don't write quality content. So, you know, the first thing I would do is focus on writing good articles, you know, whether that's whatever your topic happens to be around. Like, nothing is going to happen if you don't write good stuff. So mm -hmm. you have to do that first. Um, whether you want to publish that on your own site and then republish it elsewhere or... Uh, pitch it as a guest post to a different outlet. You know, you can decide which route you want to go, but you're, you're eventually going to have to publish it somewhere that already has a built-in audience, um, which is what Corbett was referencing. And then if you want people to move from that place that has traffic to your email list, then I think you need to give them a targeted call to action with a, a dedicated landing page that gets them to sign up. So, you know, make it very clear and simple where you want them to go at the end of the article. Another way to think of this is that when someone finishes reading a post, they're looking for something to do next. Sometimes that means leaving the website. Sometimes that means leaving a comment. But if you have a byline with a targeted call to action and a link back to your landing page, then that's what the next action is that a lot of those people are going to take. And honestly, I think, you know, in the beginning, it took me forever to get to 100 subscribers. But now, knowing these strategies and having done it a couple of times, I think you could get 100 from one guest post, you know, one good post. If it's a good post on a site that has, not all sites are going to have subscribers, but if it has more than 50,000 subscribers and um, and you have a byline in the, at the bottom there that sends them back to a target landing page, that's the way that I would do it. James, you you probably added 100 since we started talking, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been going well. So I don't know, so it's somewhere between 200 and 300 a day right now. Nice, nice. Um, let's see, Brennan, did you have anything to add on the first 100 subscribers? Yeah, I would um I would do kind of like what you advocate, Nathan. I would have a product in mind, and I would have um, typical kind of like an opt-in page to hear more about the product and be the first person to uh, buy it. And I mean, my first hundred subscribers came from people who wanted to buy my first book, 
and I um, I my newsletter at first was a like I mentioned a book announcement list, and I think that's a good strategy. I mean, if you get people who want to learn more about doubling your freelancing rate, and each week you send out content about that, um, you have a core audience of people who all share a same goal. You can practice growing that audience and you know and writing weekly. And then over time, you can just expand the scope of your list and you know bring in more people to it. So I, I would focus on a product. I would put up a traditional, you know, uh, lead capture page, I guess, for that product. Um, and make don't make the mistake of saying type in your email address and you'll get one email from me, and that's the day I release it. I would make it a weekly thing. Um, I mean, I think a lot of us have gotten emails from startups that we've put in our email address for that. Uh, we get the email address and we're like, who the hell are you? Like, I don't even remember this, right? So um, it just, it, it's good practice for kind of the habits you need to build when you do have a more general purpose list, I guess. Nice. Well, I think I think that's a good note to end on. Um, gentlemen, thanks for coming on. Uh, really quickly, you can find everybody. Corbett, what's, what's the best link for you? Uh, best place would be fizzle.co um, or thinktraffic.net. Uh, I think Caleb, uh, one of my uh, partners, has been in the chat box diligently posting links to our site, so people probably already know where they can find me. Perfect. Yeah, and, and Fizzle's great. I, I gladly guest post on Think Traffic, and uh, uh, there's an interview with me inside of Fizzle. Uh, That's right. So I love the stuff you guys do. Yeah, we appreciate the contributions. Uh, James, where can we find you? Uh, jamesclear.com uh, every Monday and Thursday you'll see me writing there so that's the best place to go nice and Brennan uh, so um, planscope.io is kind of my blog I, I'm not as sophisticated as I think Nathan and James where I have like a personal domain that has all my content I wish I did but my my most of my blogging is on my product site planscope.io and then I have uh, brennandun.com which has an opt-in form which I you know really make better uh, for my newsletter. And um, so that's probably the best two places to find me. That wraps up today's episode. But if you want to know more about email marketing, I run an entire company dedicated to that called ConvertKit. So it's competitor to MailChimp and Aweber. If you want to learn more about ConvertKit and consider taking ConvertKit Academy to get your email list off the ground, go to convertkit.com. And for any other links in this episode, go to nathanberry.com slash episode two of the show notes. See you in the next episode.